Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. In the early 1960s, two friends, Vera Waters and Dawn Cragg, set up Hong Kong's first beauty and charm school. In essence, a finishing school for young ladies who wished to travel and marry well. Vera Waters, who was married for more than 50 years to late programme regular Dr Dan Waters, studied at the Lucy Clayton Modelling and Grooming School in London and taught deportment, manners, how to dress well, among other attributes. Dawn Craig is an expert on makeup, so both had different skills for their business. A few weeks ago, Dawn Craig visited Hong Kong from the UK, and they both sat down to tell me about how they started out together. But first, Dawn told me about how she has specialised in medical tattooing. Well, I changed my brushes for needles a few years ago. I still use brushes, of course, for some makeup, but we do it more permanently now with a tattoo machine and needles, which means that people who've had a physical trauma through burns or accident injury or for from operations can have those parts of their body made to look more normal, to match. The part, other parts of the body, and it's very therapeutic for people, and it helps them to face the world. Yeah. yeah, we've just been having a look through a superb album with a sort of before and after photographs, and these involve uh, women who've had uh, breast cancer, yes. uh, people who've had uh, facial birthmarks, people with vitiligo, people with uh, who've had accidents. Yes. Anything really, we can tattoo anything that is lighter. We cannot tattoo anything that's very red, but we can tattoo lighter things, darker. What made you, at age sixteen, interested in makeup? I think it was because my mother wouldn't allow me to wear it, <laughs> <laughs> and so I wanted to go against her and annoy my mother. That was probably what it was. If you look at makeup artists these days as well, I mean, there's there's a lot of skill involved. Yes, I mean, for example, I've trained a lot of famous makeup artists. The person who does Joan Collins' makeup artist, Alan Waterman, he is her makeup artist for everywhere. He is her wig dresser. He goes all around the world working with jo with Joan Collins, and I've trained some very famous people. Does it make you very critical of uh, women or indeed men who wear makeup um, who don't get it right? I have a tremendous urge to grab them out of the supermarket queue, scrape the makeup off, get my makeup bag out, and do it again for them. Tremendous urge. In fact, it's almost a sickness. I nearly need tablets for it. And I have been smacked three times by staring at people in the queue. <laughs> no, and thinking that um, you know, God, ten minutes and I could make you look like Raquel Welch or Beyonce or something. I have a tremendous urge to do that. So, Vera Waters, can you describe how you how you met uh, Dawn Craig and how you began business together? Well, because my husband is a good friend of uh, Dawn's husband, John, and um, we often had um, dinner together and and met. And then one evening after dinner, we had a chat, and Dawn said, "Hong Kong has practically everything except a finishing school." Uh, since you are a qualified beautician and also uh, you have learned um, a charm and grooming course in London, um, I am a qualified beauty therapist. Why don't we join together and run some courses for the women of Hong Kong? So I think ah, that's a good idea. We think it would be fun. So we started the first course and we advertised in the South China Morning Post, and that was. Uh, Charm and grooming course, makeup department, and so on. And then for the first group of students, we had eleven, eleven students from eight different countries. Then uh, it was great fun, and uh, we used Don and John's uh, sitting room as our classroom. <laughs> so where was your sitting room? I, it was in our, in our girls' street at the time. Yes, 
we started running, and uh, Don was in charge of the makeup part, part, and I did the grooming and department, and uh, etiquette and so on and so forth. And uh, we really enjoyed it. We treated it as a hobby. <laughs> Vera, you went uh, to the Lucy Clayton of London. Yes, I just wanted to improve myself, and uh, they were very strict. There were forty in the class, and every morning they want you to be perfectly turned out. Uh, from top to toe, and uh, you, we used to paint our nails. And then the teachers will examine our nails. If you got one nail chipped, she will put you on the stage and scold you like mad. <laughs> and since then, I had to be very careful about my appearance. That's why every time when you see me from top to toe, I'm properly, you know, turned out. It was it eleven young women then of of different nationalities? Yes, yeah. it was. Yes, in those days.、Um, Boys didn't go to makeup lessons, so it was eleven young girls,、um, all whose parents all wanted them to look nice, do their best, get married well. Basically, that was that. So they wanted them to be t- beautifully turned out, and know their etiquette, and know their etiquette. Yes, definitely, because we had to go through all sorts of different etiquettes:、um, Chinese etiquette, English、uh, continental etiquette. Because these girls were going to be very travelled, or I hope they were anyway. So we, Vera, I don't know how she got all the information. She was amazing. I just did the faces. She did everything else. So you actually, what you were producing practically, Vera, in、uh, Hong Kong, along with Dawn, was it was Hong Kong's own finishing school. Yes, yes, Hong Kong finishing school. But then, of course, later on, Dawn went back to UK, and uh, um, the business was good, so I continue with it. And then、uh, Rediffusion Television, which is、uh, now ATV, wanted to have a program、uh, on beauty and health. So they invited me to be、um, to co-、uh, compare this program, and I did it for six months. You'd be there on a stage, or would you have girls that no, you were transforming? Actually, actually, I had,、um, uh, I had, yeah, I had girls.、Uh, I demonstrated makeup, and also showed them how to walk. How to carry themselves, you know, how to have good posture. And but before my program, the television would get a film from US to teach people how to do exercise. You know, firm up here and firm up there. You know,、uh, that that took about fifteen、um, minutes. Then after that, it's my my part, and I would do makeup or do、uh, show them table manners and all sorts of things. And it was very popular. So, what were the key things when you when you were you had these multinational kids who were really kids who were、uh, all looking to、uh, marry well, or certainly、mm. their parents wanted them to,、yeah. probably their mothers, I'd have thought. Yeah,、um, that's right. So,、um, when you were sitting them down to teach them makeup, what were the basics, Dawn? Without giving too many professional secrets away. Well, the basics were、um, to always look after your skin. And、um, as Vera and I, I think we are very good examples. We never have had a day since we were about—I don't know how old Vera was—but since I was 16, I have never ever had a day without makeup on, because I think that it protects your skin from all the elements, right? So, and I think I'm 76 now, and I really do think for my age, I know my skin is quite good. Vera's got an exceptional skin, and I think the proof of the pudding is there. Is what we've always been telling everybody: wear makeup. As long as it's not too heavy, it will protect your skin.、Uh, also, prepare your skin. I should think yeah, a little bit. Yeah, look after your skin, cleanse your skin. But how to choose the right makeup? But the most important thing around the makeup, actually, is the hair, because from the top of the head to the delicate hair is really the face. 
And what you do around the face is most important. And your neckline, as Vera knows, she was always nagging me to have the right neckline. You know, if you've got a certain shaped face, you have to for certain set to, to make your neck look longer and things like that. So all those things are very important because if all the things around your face are not right, it doesn't matter how good your makeup is, that won't be right either. Tell me about necklines. Well, um, I always told people when you walk, that's what I've learned from you, Lucy Clayton. You always presume that you are uh, pretend that you are. Uh, you want your, your top the, of your head touching the ceiling so that you are stretched out. And then you will not cre- create a double chin. And also you have a straight spine. Because when we get, get older, you tend to bend a little bit. And by hold, having a good posture is extremely important for people's life. That's why people always say that I'm very strict because I, I always remember what I do. Whether you're sitting, walking or standing. Always pretend you want the top of your head to touch the ceiling. Then you will not sort of uh, become crooked. And one thing which is very interesting is for the Chinese who came to learn makeup from us, after making up, they, they think they look beautiful. They admire themselves in the mirror, but then they would wash off before they leave because they are afraid that their family members or people who see them uh, all made up uh, thinking that they're, they're vain. Now, in terms of the... Can you remember that first set of 11 when they came in your home? Yes, I can. They frightened me to death. I thought, what on earth am I going to teach them? They're all so different. They're, they're, their standard of English was all very different. But somehow, you know, we did manage it, you know, with gestures and body language and things like that. It was very successful. And I do, do remember on the last day when they were doing a little walk around and doing their turns and the Paris turns and all the things that Vera had um, uh, taught them. I remember being very proud of them and thinking they came in as ugly ducklings, well, not quite as bad as that, went out like beautiful graceful swans. That was really rewarding. So what is a Paris turn? A Paris turn is a certain way that you turn when you walk in the door. Um, it's really the turn that the models use when they're modelling shoes because it shows your shoes off to the best advantage. But there's all sorts of different turns like that that you do for different occasions. So Vera, when I enter a room, should I be doing the Paris turn? <laughs> well, what we do is um, uh, well, we have a way of opening doors and closing doors and when you go for interviews and uh, all these are learned from, from the school. There was a girl who came to me and when she came to me, she spoke like this. Uh, 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 more or less telling me she wanted to take the course, but she was very shy. She didn't know how to express herself. So finally, I encouraged her and then, and then talked to her. And then she took the course and very diligently learned everything. Then by the end of the course, I arranged for a newspaper reporter to give her an interview. At that time, that was Tintin Yatbo. That is um, Hong Kong Daily. Tintin Yatbo. Yeah, Tintin Yatbo. Doesn't exist anymore. Doesn't exist anymore. And then and she even made a white dress to put on and post you know, did all kinds of posts. With the, par- with the Paris turn? Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, for, the, for the reporter to, um, to do the interview. And then I was so, sort of like my fair lady's story. And then afterwards, her mother gave me a gift. Do you know what it was? You know, in Chinese New Year, there is this brown pudding, a huge brown pudding made of glutinous rice flour. It was delicious. It was so big. 
And then after a time, she gave me several dozens of eggs just to thank me for having trained her daughter. And each one, uh, your, your course would last how long? Several weeks. It was a, run as a night school. I think it was probably a 12-week course that they did, and we fitted certain things in. But there were certain girls that we would have back a little bit longer if we felt that they would benefit from it. You know, because you do sometimes have people that maybe have a slight learning difficulty and impediment in their speech or something like that, and you want to spend a little bit more time with them, you know, um, to make them feel as confident as the others. If you're a good teacher, you should be able to get all the students to a high standard, um, but it, some take a little bit more time than others do. It's actually been the beauty business has been what you've done, both of you, through, throughout your life. So it was the correct path at 16. It was the correct path, but then I went, you see, I went into, um, I mean, when I was out here, I was making people look beautiful. Then I went and trained for television. And, of course, I did training with the BBC. And, of course, there you learn to make people look beautiful, ugly, anything you want, you know. So I, I branched out on that as well, which has been very helpful to me. So this was for actors? Uh, yeah, yeah, for, for television plays, if you've got to make somebody look old or ill or things like that. And I had a school for it as well. But now I've sold those and I'm back to doing just makeup again now, really, and to tattooing. In the early days, when you had those eight different nationalities, it also, I'm thinking if you had different pigments as well of, um, you know, Caucasian Chinese or if you had any South Asian, um, how would you then uh, train the different women how to do their makeup? Well, I've never had a problem with makeup or putting it in or on the skin. I think if God gave me one gift, it was the gift of colour, and I have always said that. But then what I do is, if Vera would say to me, oh, we've got two Indian girls or two Filipinos, I'd rush out and buy a magazine of that country so that I could see what the look was at the time for that race of people. So I, it's never been a problem to me. I've always coped with it. It's a challenge, really. You've both been friends for more than 50 years. Mm -hmm. Can you both tell me, you know, you both set up a business together. What would you say is the secret to working together when you are friends? Uh, I think the secret is to find out which is the strongest point of both people and not clash, or, you know, not both try to do the same thing. So Vera did all her thing and opening doors and teaching people good table manners, um, in, in, including teaching me. Uh, and, and so I left her to do that and I got on with what I could do and I think that's a secret. But the other thing is that um, after all these years, one of the reasons why we're having chats today is that we might be going back into business together. My thanks to Dawn Craig and Vera Waters. Dawn Craig was awarded the MBE for her medical tattooing work. Vera Waters is a successful businesswoman with new skin and continues to give talks to young people on building their confidence and a positive outlook. I recently met up with Katie Law, the co-convener of the Central and Western Concern Group, and she showed me an alleyway off Wellington Street in Central, where there are walls of cookhouses dating back to around the 1850s. We are now standing uh, at a back lane very close to Cochrane Street. The entrance can be found on Wellington Street, number 108 to uh, 110. So it's a very small alleyway that we pass through. And when we come to this area and we see um, a group of houses and their walls, the back walls and the uh, side walls, uh, it seems to be divided into at least uh, three houses. According to our research, and these are the, the back end of the houses, which we think are the cook houses of the, the very old houses. Yes, it's, it's quite extraordinary. You come up to the intersection between Cochrane Street and Wellington Street. You've got the escalator up above you, and you come down this alleyway, 
and uh, you've got these half walls so you've got these walls going up but the rest of the, the house has gone you've got some of the restaurants using this as a storage area but I never even knew this little area existed I mean, it's amazing. I, I lived in this district for so many years, and um, I used to pass by this site so many times. Uh, looking at it from the escalator or on Cochrane Street, um, it's a you know it's a fenced site, so um, we can't really get near it from Cochrane Street. There are fences separating us, and uh, it is government land. But um, coming in from Wellington Street, I, I really discover this. Um, very ancient house and um, so um, it's amazing that we can discover such old you know heritage in the middle of the city this alleyway can you describe how we can date it based on different rules and regulations that were introduced by the Hong Kong government yeah we we can actually date it from uh, various aspects uh, first the building materials um, these uh, walls and uh, are, are built with um, blue bricks or, uh, or call them grey bricks. Um, in Chinese, is Changjun, which uh, we can um, date the house to the 19th century. It's, you know, the early houses in Hong Kong were built with grey bricks. And grey? Grey or blue. Yeah, Changjun in Chinese. And that was local materials? And they are from, you know, China, Canton, grey bricks. And then later houses will be, would be built with the red bricks. Okay, Hongjun. Uh, so these are earlier versions. And um, we also see the foundations uh, built with granite stones and a local material, mainly from Hong Kong. Hong Kong had many, you know, supply of granite stones in the past. And um, these are the building materials. We can trace them back to the 19th century, mid-19th century or a bit later. And then we look at the floor plan of the houses. They are, you know, like our... Chinese tenement houses, they are of um, quite a narrow front uh, width. So it's about four meters wide. So for each of the houses, there are three. We can see at least three here. They are four meters wide. And also, because according to the map, an old map that we found, this could be the, you know, the party wall between six houses, which were built back to back. So they have no lane to divide the back of the houses. So which makes them very special? Because in you know, 1903, uh, a public health and building ordinance uh, was passed requiring that um, a scavenging lane... A scavenging lane? Yeah, should be built behind the houses. So no more back-to-back -back houses. Is this uh, because of, like, for example, in 1894, of course, you'd had... Uh, a bubonic plague here, killing thousands. That was more up in Saiyingpun area. But uh, was that as a reaction to that? Definitely. Uh, it's because of the public health reason. So the government um, needs to um, adopt more stringent requirement in the construction of houses for ventilation reason, for hygienic reasons. So houses then were no longer allowed to build back to back. But what we see here in Cochrane Street 
are the, the remains of some back-to-back -back houses. And it's very, very unusual. I, I've never seen such things in other parts of the city. It's very interesting. Up yeah. at the top of this wall, you've got the leaves, or, or you've got sort of almost like vines growing over. It's quite atmospheric. You've got a wooden ladder against the wall and all the colourful uh, buckets and various containers that are being used by the Daipai Dongs and other restaurants. So it's being used as a storage area. At the moment, uh, people have got also their restaurant clothes hung out on hooks. And uh, in terms of... This, it would have been one story or two story these houses? Uh, this story uh, could be more than one story so we still are studying about it but we can see it, it, it could be the, the petition or the floor petition near the top we can see a little part of it so it may be more than one story high. Judging by the grey bricks we're thinking that this could have dated back to um, the 1870s or thereabouts or earlier. even yeah, earlier. Could be. What kind of people, can we guess, what kind of people would have lived here? Oh, it would be uh, Chinese. Chinese, definitely. Because yeah, but is it sort of Chinese working houses. class, uh, middle class? I think uh, maybe middle class. Because, um, you know, Cochrane Street, Guslav Street are some of the um, earliest um, streets in the city of Victoria. And at the beginning, um, they could be occupied by Westerners. But um, according to um, historian uh, Tim Cole, um, he said uh, because the early time these streets could be occupied by Westerners, but a bit later, you know, the Chinese began to um, buy up properties on these streets and convert the houses into Chinese houses. So it could be, you know, that kind of um, middle class people who could afford to um, buy properties in the, you know, the heart of the city, which is Cochrane Street, Guslav Street, and this area. So the main houses have already gone? Well, now that we see part of the houses, which we um, presume are the cook houses, but on the other hand, there is some more space, internal um, building space that could be found right next to the Cochrane Street area, which is now, you know, covered. And we have no idea whether there are some internal spaces inside. So if we, uh, you know, conduct an archaeological investigation and see what's inside of those space, we could probably find something. So, that's so what's, what's preventing you from getting into that space currently? Now, um, part of the space are, are fenced off because it is a government land and um, we could only see from the outside, although from this Wellington Street lane, we can get more closer to this side. And, and more importantly, I, I think if we have to conduct, you know, more detailed archaeological investigation, we need to, you know, be approved, you know, by the government and you have to get a license to take this place. And, uh, you know, these are the, the, the procedures that we think the government should do. But they are at you know, at this moment, they are not, um, you know, agreeing to anything, to do anything. Right. Now, I think it would be very interesting to do an investigation, bring sp school kids along to just give an impression of what life would have been like. Definitely. In fact, we have invited um, architects and historians and planners to, to look at this place, and, and they found it really amazing, you know, how such an old, you know, site could be kept for so long, hidden behind the alleyway and, um, you know, without being pulled down. I mean, it's also amazing. We have to find out why, you know, they, this, 
can, could be kept for so long. And once we establish the, the significance of this site, we have to discuss you know, how to preserve it. It's very important because this site is also standing within the URA redevelopment area. So um, the houses, the, the other... But the URA hasn't got the land as yet. Well, it still belongs to the government, but, you know, as you can see, you know, behind us on the other side of Guslav Street, some of the old tenement houses have already been pulled down, preparing for the redevelopment. So by the Urban Renewal Authority? Yes. 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 So, um, you know, it might be a matter of time on this. Who knows? Because it's government land. It could end up uh, with the URA and also is not protected in any way currently. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. We, we <laughs> have alerted the government about this uh, last October. And we have, you know, been communicating, writing letters uh, to various departments, especially the AMO. and so asking, The Antiquities and Monuments Office. Yeah, asking them to conduct a more in-depth study. While we are doing our study, I think it's also the government responsibility to, to study this site carefully. Because it could be, you know, some of the oldest house surviving in the, the city. But after two, three months, and, and they said they will conduct the study, they just uh, came back with a reply um, to us and with a very unspecific, uh, you know, answer. So currently, um, we don't, really don't know what, you know, the government's position is. How do you feel as a Hong Konger and somebody who's been so active in preserving Hong Kong's heritage when you discover a site like this? I think it's magical because um, the development in Hong Kong is so fast. You know, buildings being pulled down every day, constructions coming up, high-rise towers coming up. And then in the middle of the city, you know, there are something like this, which could be like 140 years old and still remained. And when, when I found it, I, I, I really think it's amazing. And also make this especially precious because, you know, amidst the fast development, that, you know, there's something still there, you know, for us to discover and to learn about, to, to, to understand, you know, how people lived at that time in the mid 19th century. So um, we plan to do a lot of study about this to bring in more people, school children and uh, members of the public to have a look because right now maybe not many people know about this site. I certainly didn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course, you've still got wonderfully down down the, uh, the side of Wellington Street where we're going to go in a minute. Um, and when you go down a bit further along the escalator, you've still got some Dai Pai Dong stalls here. They they haven't gone just yet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these are the, the heritage of Hong Kong that we need to take care of and uh, be very proud of. You know, these are our heritage and really the character of Hong Kong. Do you think there is a way of, uh, that these walls could be left standing even if modern development carries on around them? I think definitely that we, we should you know, go that direction because in a way it's interesting that sometimes uh, old buildings uh, have to go but the walls remain, the stairs remain that are very ancient. But um, there, there, there is a value in, in those um, old structures. By studying these old structures carefully, we can actually learn a lot, even from these walls in Cochrane Streets and, and the, the buildings. Um, so we can learn a lot by measuring the bricks, for example, by um, looking at you know, the, the plan of the, this uh, cookhouse. Um, we can you know, learn a lot about how Chinese people you know, lived in the past in Hong Kong. 
And uh, I, I think there is a value of um, preserving these um, remains, the structures, and um, certainly it's, it's worth a lot. You know, um, if you pass by the city in Wan Chai or Central, you saw you see the new buildings, but at the same time you see the old ones. You can really feel, you know, how Hong Kong has come along. You know, in in the past more than hundred years, many many years, and um, you feel the the history of this city. So we're standing in a small alleyway off Wellington Street, parallel with Cochrane Street. So this would have been a scavenging lane. You'd have had the cookhouses at the back of uh, the actual houses that families would have lived in. Uh, would those houses have had bathrooms at that time? No, no, no bathroom yet. Yeah. So the night saw had, had to be carried away by people you know, every other day. Things like that. Mm. <laughs> Not a job I'd have wanted. Katie, obviously you've done a lot of work with the Central and Western Concern Group. Um, is this just a one-woman band or are there other people who are also interested in preserving these walls? Oh, we have many members uh, in our team. Um, we have historians, we have uh, people who are interested in uh, architecture, planning, and uh, I, I brought quite a number of people to visit this site and I have... Uh, also uh, asked uh, our district councillors to uh, look at this site and to follow up on the issues uh, about preservation. My thanks to Katie Law of the Central and Western Concern Group. Thanks for listening and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.